As the offering team comes, I'm just going to kind of get right into this because uh, this, I've been, so last week we had the baptism service, so I've actually been working on this sermon about hypocrisy for two weeks, and it has not been fun. You guys are lucky, you only have to put up with it and be confronted with your hypocrisy for 30 minutes. I've had to be confronted with it for 14 days. I'll tell you, I, I find it painful and embarrassing when my own hypocrisy is exposed. Yet, there is a part of me that takes, how shall I say this, a peculiar satisfaction in identifying hypocrisy in others. <laughs> Particularly the hypocrisy of those who have accused me of hypocrisy. I love <clears throat> And, and, you know, over the years as a pastor, I've become very good at spotting hypocrisy. In fact, as a good pastor should, I keep a spreadsheet. Donnie, can you bring up the spreadsheet, the hypocrisy score? Okay, so let me explain. This is a very, this is a very complex, complex formula, an algorithm that calculates the hypocrisy within our church. For example, now we haven't completed January yet, so this just goes to Jan or February yet, so this is January of this year. You can see Randy was the most hypocritical in the church with 418 incidents. Chris Hicks, the worship leader, now listen, we've only been we only were able to track Chris since January 7th, so there might be a, but he had 376 incidents with a 2.6 hypocrisy rating. And then you have Scotty T, who's the third most hypocritical in January. 3.1 with 302 incidents. But that means there's also people who are less hypocritical. So let's go to the least hypocritical people in the church. I want you to see this. In January, Jim Cerny had a hypocrisy score of 9.3 with only six incidents. Good job, Jim. Great job. Mark Choate, who's not here today, so there need to be, might need to be an adjustment. But Mark Choate... He had a hypocrisy score in January of up there at 9.7, only four incidents. That's really good, Mark. Now, understand, I don't count what's going on at home. So, Sherry, don't worry. That, that might have adjusted the formula. All right. Hilda is the least hypocritical person in the church at 9.9, .9, only two incidents. And, you know, as I was talking to Chris before the service, Chris said, of all the things up there, the one that's probably true is the Hilda part, right? So I'm just saying. But... Now, of course, you might ask, um, Pastor Joe, where are you on this list? Well, of course, I'm not on the list because I'm keeping track of everyone else's hypocrisy. That's a very big job. I just don't have time to track my own. So anybody want to volunteer to track my hypocrisy? <laughs> All right. Hypocrisy is a problem. It is, in fact, a constant struggle for all of us, right? So we need to know how to deal with it when our hypocrisy is exposed. You know, we think of hypocrisy as accusing someone of something we are guilty of as well, right? Like, so somebody accuses you of doing something, but they're doing the same thing. That's hypocrisy, right? But it goes much deeper than that. 
Our hypocrisy actually can manifest itself in many different overt and both overt and subtle ways. So today we're talking about a specific hypocrisy that James is dealing with. And he says this, this test, this hypocrisy is an important test of your ropes of faith. It is the hypocrisy within the church of discrimination or favoritism, specifically in the church, showing favor to those who seem more desirable than others. Yeah, you can see why I didn't enjoy this for the last two weeks. James chapter 2, verse 1 through 13, let's read the passage. My brothers, show no partiality or favoritism as you hold the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. If a man wearing a gold ring and fine clothing comes into your assembly and a poor man in shabby clothing also comes in, if you pay attention to the one who wears the fine clothing and say, you sit here in a good place, while you say to the poor man, you stand over there or sit down beneath my feet. Have you not then made distinctions among yourselves, becoming judges with evil thoughts, filthy overflow of wickedness? From chapter 1. Look at the next. But my beloved brothers, hasn't God chosen those who are poor in the world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom he has promised to those who love him? But you have dishonored the poor man. Are not the rich ones who oppress you, the ones who drag you into court, Are they not the ones who blaspheme the honorable name by which you were called? If you really fulfill the royal law, according to Scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself, you are doing well. But if you show partiality, you are committing sin and are convicted by the law as transgressors. For whoever keeps the whole law but fails in one point has become guilty of all of it. That's a problem. For he who said, do not commit murder... Or adultery also said, do not murder. If you do not commit adultery, but you do murder, you have become a transgressor of the law. In other words, God sees you just like an adulterer or a liar or a thief. This goes for those of us who show favoritism as well. So speak and act as those who are judged under the law of liberty. Do you remember the law of liberty from chapter 1? He brings it back up again. For judgment has no mercy to one who shows no mercy, but mercy triumphs over judgment. I want you to see the context of why James is dealing with this idea. Rich man, poor man. The disparity between the rich and the poor in Roman society was much greater than it is today. The elite enjoyed very conceivably, every conceivable comfort and advantage, while everyone else literally was living hand to mouth. Especially those who were the least desirable. Not just about money. You understand, poor here isn't really talking about your bank account. It's talking about the sick, the weak, the abandoned, like orphans and widows. Those who are hopelessly trapped in lower classes, those in the first century, they were hopelessly trapped in these lower classes, and life was brutally unforgiving. And this huge divide wasn't just limited to secular influences like Roman authorities or Romans who were wealthy. It also existed within Jewish religious society as well. Most Jewish religious leaders were wealthy and they were powerful, believing that their affluence was actually a sign that God had favor upon them for whatever reason. And many of them saw those who lived in poverty or or those who were poor in spirit, the sick, the hurting, 
that they were under a curse from God for some hidden sin by them or somebody in their family. And the elite were in control of every civil and religious institution that might be able to break the curse. They controlled them all and they used them to exploit those who were hurting even more. Corrupt judges, Roman judges, temple taxes, control of commerce, they all used it to maintain power and authority over the undesirable. And the reality of being exploited and not being able to do anything about it, it was certainly fertile ground for resentment to build, right? People despised the powerful and the wealthy because so many of them had been brutally exploited by them. But then you have a problem when religious people got together. There's this idea of reserved seating I want you to see. So synagogues organize their seating for most assemblies based upon your social class or wealth. Obviously, this should not happen in the church. People don't deserve favor because of their wealth or their social economic class, but it does happen. Like, for example, if you arrive early, you can grab the better seats in the back. <laughs> but at 1040, you're going to sit up right here in the front in the bad seats, okay? Yes, the best seats. This is an important context to understand why James is using hypocrisy of favoritism and discrimination as a test of our faith. Two people walk into a gathering of Christians. One is wearing a gold ring and fancy clothes, and another is in shabby clothing. See, those adorned with rings and robes were honored with the best seats. The ring was like a signet, and they used it to, to seal proclamations. It meant they were in authority. The robe meant they were wealthy or they were wearing wealthy uniforms. They got the best seats, but the poor often found themselves stuck away in the back or sometimes even outside. They were undesirable. This type of hypocrisy clearly had infiltrated the church and had become an issue in their worship services. And it needed to be addressed. So that's the history of our passage. Look at the theology. What is God teaching us here? I want you to see. We're going we're to explore deeper this idea of favoritism and hypocrisy. How we respond when our favoritism is revealed is another important test of our ropes of faith. Honoring influential people while embarrassing the poor man or the undesirable man is the kind of hypocrisy that has no place in the church. The poor man, again, isn't just about money. I don't want you to think poor man money. It's really, that's maybe just one small component of being the poor man. It's someone who for some reason, whether their fault or not, is undesirable. Someone who's considered a burden, a risk. People who may need a little more than they give. Addicts, the mentally ill, the chronically sick, those who are lonely, those who are hurting, those who are depressed. Humanly speaking, of course, we're more favorable to those who won't cost us as much or might even possibly benefit us. But when we do that, James says we have become evil judges. He says, favoring desirable people and ignoring the undesirable makes us like judges full of evil motives. Evil judges who treat 
those with wealth and power differently than they do the poor and the powerless. See, don't just think of judges in the legal sense, okay? That's another metaphor. It's a broader framework, a broader metaphor for anyone who has any position of power or influence when they show favoritism. <clears throat> Let me give you an example of this, okay, that we can relate to. Raise your hand if you are a big fan of the U.S. Congress. Let's go. Raise your hand. <laughs> why is it that Congress is so unpopular? You know why? Because we see most of them as people who cozy up to power and money. It's easy to criticize politicians, though, isn't it? Or judges for their hypocritical favoritism. That's who these evil judges are. He says, when you show favoritism, you're like the people you hate the most. And James says, shaming the undesirable believer who is in every way one of his sheep whom he has called out of darkness into light and made an heir to his kingdom. When you do that, really what it's just like is blasphemy. That's harsh. When we show favoritism, we are guilty of the thing we're so quick to judge them for. And our hypocrisy has been exposed. You are just like those above you who exploit you, who use the law to put you in prison. They persecute you for your faith. That's how the world operates. The church should not. The church cannot operate that way or we are just like the world. But I want you to see the law that condemns. The problem with this favoritism is it's not just a small problem. It's a big problem. Leviticus 19, verse 15. Look at this. You shall do no injustice in court. Now watch this. This is interesting. Look what he says. You shall not be partial to the poor. Oh, wait a minute. What? Or defer to the great. See, it can go both ways, can't it? Sometimes we, for appearances, or maybe we feel guilty, we might be partial to the poor and be mean to the rich. That's not good either. You shall not be partial to the poor or defer to the great, but in righteousness you shall judge your neighbor. Hmm. Favoritism, the hypocrisy of judging unjustly, makes us guilty of everything that the Old Testament has condemned. If a judge shows bias of any kind toward the poor or the rich, that's an evil judge. The law condemns that evil judge. Favoritism makes us guilty of being judges with evil, selfish thoughts because we have violated one command in the law. And if we have violated this law with our hypocrisy, we aren't just seen as guilty of favoritism and hypocrisy. It's all or nothing with the law. You must be perfect in all of it, or you are guilty of all of it. If you show favoritism, then you're also a thief, an adulterer, a liar, and a murderer. This is how the law that condemns that we studied a few weeks ago works. And we've all broken this law and become guilty of being evil judges, haven't we? Every one of you, including myself, multiple times every day. But James goes further. If you think, well, I don't show favoritism, if you fail to keep the royal law perfectly, he says, then you have shown favoritism and you are a hypocrite. What is that royal law? 
Jesus taught this that in Matthew 22. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. Oh, that's easy. This is the greatest and first commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Piece of cake. He says, on these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. You see what he's saying there? He says, you think you don't show favoritism? Here's the real test of whether or not you show favoritism. Love God with all your heart and love your neighbor as yourself. And if you're not doing that, you are a hypocrite. How are you doing with that, by the way, that royal law? You got it down? Are you perfectly fulfilling the royal law in your life today? I can promise you you're not. Every time you love something in this world more than you love God, you're a hypocrite. Every time you love someone less than you love yourself, you're a hypocrite. You're showing favoritism and you have become an evil judge who's guilty of the entire law. You can see how seriously James takes this hypocrisy of favoritism, right? This is a critical test of your ropes of faith, church. We're going to get to that in just a moment. Look at the personal section this week. I want to talk about the law that liberates. Here's the better part. I promise you, it gets better. I'm the one that had to deal with this for two weeks, okay? You just had 15 minutes. Relax. This was the sermon preview this week. The cure for your judgmental hypocrisy is remembering how desperately you needed mercy and grace. So why do we show favoritism? What is our motivation when we do it? Why are we willing to be hypocrites? See, I will tell you, I think it reveals, listen, when we show favoritism, it reveals a lack of faith that God can provide everything we need for this life. And we are taking it into our own hands. Well, if I can get favoritism from this person, maybe they can provide what I want. And so we turn to those who seem to have the resources to get us where we need in this world. We are falling into the temptation to put our faith in the earthly glory instead of trusting in what James calls in verse 1, the Lord of glory. We see those who we deem more desirable and we favor them because we want to be like them. Right? We want the world to see us like we see the desirable. We want to be seen with them. We want to be liked by them because it elevates us. We are willing, even if just for a moment, listen, to trade God's glory for the glory of this world when we show favoritism. Our hypocrisy doesn't stop with favoritism. We want to be favored, don't we? We feel oftentimes entitled to it. We crave it. We seek it. We demand it. Are you someone who judges by appearances or desirability instead of the same mercy you have been given? Okay, can you tell me if you feel the same way I did over the last two weeks that I've been studying this? Here's how I felt. Joe, this is not good. (laughs) As followers of Jesus, we don't want to be hypocritical, evil judges, do we? We don't want to do that. It's the last thing we want to be if you are a true follower of Jesus. So what are we supposed to do with this when it is revealed? This is another great test of your ropes of faith, how you respond when your hypocrisy of favoritism is exposed. Colossians chapter 3, verses 12 through 14. Therefore, as God's chosen people, clothe yourselves with compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, 
meekness, and patience. Bearing with one another. If one has a grievance against another, have mercy for each other. As the Lord has shown you mercy, so also you must show mercy. James says, judge according to mercy. See, followers of Jesus, listen to me. We must be on the lookout for this hypocrisy of favoritism in our church. Because favoritism is a symptom. You know what it's a symptom of? That we're starting to slowly forget just how desperately we needed mercy from the Lord of glory. You are forgetting if anyone had the right to play favorites at all, it wasn't you, it was our Jesus. But praise God, he didn't. He loved us anyway. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 4 and 5, look at this. But God, being rich in mercy, there's that mercy again. It was in the last verse, in verse 13 of our passage. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were undesirable, dead in trespasses and sins, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. Yes, the law has condemned your hypocritical favoritism. Absolutely it has. But the law that liberates, that is your only hope, but it can set you free. See, you see how the gospel is actually the great equalizer? The rich or the poor, the desirable or the undesirable, all are desperately in need of the same mercy. And when your hypocrisy is revealed, it reminds, listen, it will remind a true follower of Jesus just how desperate you are without the gospel. When your hypocrisy is revealed, you don't get angry, but real faith will enable you to run with humility back to that implanted word of God in chapter one that is able to save your soul. Receive with meekness the implanted word of God. When your hypocrisy is revealed, real faith runs back to that word of God. You will be, if you're a child of God and you have real faith, you'll be fully aware of this fact. You ready? When your hypocrisy is revealed, this is what you'll be aware of. Wow, without mercy and grace, I am no better than those who I'm judging. Question for you. Don't raise your hand on this one. Has the law exposed your evil thoughts today like it did mine the last two weeks? See, that part isn't fair again. The two weeks versus 20 minutes, it's not fair. (laughs) Then follower of Jesus, if the law has exposed your hypocrisy against the poor or against the rich, against the desirable or the undesirable, against anyone, if your hypocrisy has been exposed... Let that desperation remind you, embrace it, and receive once again with meekness the law that liberates. Desperately scurry back up your ropes of faith to the safety of humble reliance upon Jesus before anything else. I've gotten a little low on these ropes. I need to climb back up where I belong. Matthew 20, verse 25 to 28. This is powerful. This is what Jesus says. You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them. Remember, we were talking about that in our historical section. Look what Jesus says. It shall not be so among you. 
But whoever is great among you must be your servant. And whoever would be first among you must be your slave. Even as the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. Mm. The desire to show mercy instead of partiality is a direct result of real faith. It's a sign that your ropes of faith are secure. And when we understand the Lord of glory has judged us with mercy, it should result in this natural overflow of mercy for others. The law of liberty sets you free from the scourge of favoritism because you've been satisfied by the Lord of glory. The law of liberty keeps you grounded, always reminding you how desperately you needed mercy and grace and still do. The law of liberty will rescue you, set you free from the endless burden of having to show favoritism based on earthly glory. The law of liberty enables you to recognize only Jesus is worthy of favoritism and honor and glory. And the rest of us, we just serve him. The law of liberty produces within the faithful a humility and a gratitude for the mercy and grace we have received. And the law of liberty inspires you, enables you to begin to see people through the mercy that you received instead of what they can provide for you. Don't look at people for what they can provide. Look at them how God sees them. The law of liberty empowers you to extend mercy and grace to others instead of judging them for their desirability or their appearance. The law of liberty sets you free from hypocrisy by helping you see other followers of Jesus the same way he does as heirs of the kingdom of God. And finally, the law of liberty takes away your thirst your desire to gain favor from humans and satisfies your soul by being favored from Jesus. So has this passage opened your eyes how you might have been showing favoritism, perhaps even within the church? Does this make you uneasy about being a hypocrite who has judged others based upon their desirability or their appearance? will be encouraged. That uncomfortableness, that, that, that nervousness, that, ooh, this doesn't sound right, that means, follower of Jesus, your awareness and your desire to address it is a sign that your ropes of faith are, in fact, secure. Because if they weren't secure, you wouldn't care. You would just go on favoring to get what you can. Because James is teaching us that real faith will recognize favoritism Confess it, repent, and change its behavior. Dear Jesus, you are the only one worthy of our favoritism. Yet when you came to earth, you didn't take it. You emptied yourself of glory so that we might escape the law that condemns. Through your spirit, you have implanted the law of liberty within us. 
And Lord, we confess to you that it is a constant struggle, this hypocrisy. This is just one example of our hypocrisy. Lord, I pray that you would allow this reality to keep us ever mindful of the grace and mercy that we so desperately need every day. Keep us in humility running to the implanted word of God, which saves our souls. Lord, I pray for those here today who are struggling with, man, have I been showing favoritism? Lord, help that be an encouragement to them that they can see it and they're concerned about it. It's a sign their ropes of faith are secure. For those that aren't concerned about it, Lord, that maybe they're looking at others and saying, yeah, they show favoritism or they're doing this. Lord, I pray that you would, by your spirit, help them receive with humility the implanted word of God because we all need the same mercy and we all need the same grace. Lord, we ask that you would heal us and cleanse us from this, if it's happening in our church, with each other. Lord, help us to see each one of us as an heir of the kingdom of God. And we declare once again, Jesus, only you are worthy of our favoritism. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.